You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Oh my god. Go on. Oh. Tim. Tim, you just got to Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad then. I never heard you and AJ both speechless. <laughs> I'm still speechless. But no, I mean, it was, yeah, unbelievable ride. Well, that was Tim Harris, the sports director of EF Education Tibco SVB, and AJ is Alison Jackson, the former Canadian champion who won Paris-Roubaix Femme this evening. My name is Lionel Burney, this is Arrive by the Cycling Podcast, and I'm in the grandstand at the Velodrome in Roubaix with Lizzie Banks, pro rider, of course, for EF Education, and a teammate of Alison Jackson's, of course. So, I mean, what a day we've had, Lizzie. Sum it up in a sentence and a half. Unbelievable and heroic a day that we will never forget in the history of Roubaix and women's cycling I mean there was a moment this afternoon where we might not have been here in the velodrome for the finish we took a bit of a wrong turning after our second spot on the cobbles at Monzon Pavel but we made it some heroic driving some heroic navigating but nothing quite as heroic as Alison Jackson's ride the breakaway prevailed 18 riders went up the road in the first 25 kilometres and they stayed away to the finish a real ripping up of the Paris-Roubaix family template. Absolutely. I mean, this is the third edition. We've seen two solo winners, both from Trek Segafredo. Um, and with the conditions today, if there was a, a day for a, a smaller group to go to the finish together, that was that that was today with the slight headwind. If there was a day that a breakaway was going to work, it was today because the course has been lengthened by an extra 30 kilometers. Uh, a 30 kilometers that, as AJ said in her press conference, gave the race a bit of a time to settle, a, a, a time for the race to actually set in and establish itself before getting onto the cobbles. And that new addition to the race, sort of going south from Denal in the beginning before coming back up, really completely changed the race along with the weather. Let's sum up the moments of the monument. If you hear a bit of banging and crashing behind me, they're sort of reconfiguring the advertising hoardings for tomorrow's men's race, the kind of, I guess, the, sort of the, the dessert or the, um, the, the aperitif to the main event we've seen today (laughs) let's let's try and sum up what was a pretty extraordinary race 18 riders went clear at the start as i said on that circuit out of denam most of the big teams were represented trek segafredo sd works canyon sram dsm fdj only really jumbo visma missed it and mariana voss i mean talk about heroic rides with no reward she had a bike change at pretty much the worst moment she could have done and spent all day chasing and still managed to finish 10th at the end but Jumbo Visma were not the story of the day were they the story of the day was Alison Jackson the former Canadian champion she said in her press conference afterwards that sometimes you have to be your own biggest cheerleader and she certainly was today and she said that with her cobblestone trophy she's got another rock to take back to the family farm in Canada which I thought was a nice line and she was really the kind of one of the stars of the day wasn't she in that break of course and really when it started to shake down in the pointy end of the race she was the one that was applying quite a lot of the pressure we'll unpick her performance but that really only is the top line Uh, the breakaway got five minutes and 40 seconds ahead at one point which was a big lead for them to have and it gave them a chance to go all the way to the finish and they did the first six riders over the line here in the velodrome were from that breakaway and 
what happened? There were several phases to the race, weren't there? Uh, Daniek Hangeveld of DSM was clear solo for a while over the cobbles. And then really with sort of 50 kilometres to go-ish, that's when the second big phase of the race started. That's when the big riders started going. Lotta Kopecky attacked and she forced clear a really powerful group. Every single rider in that group was podium potential. Elisa Longo-Borghini, the defending champion. Lucinda Brand, her Trek Segafredo teammate, but also Elise Shabby, Pfeiffer Georgie of DSM, Marta Bastianelli and Chiara Consoni of UAE. Well, the big incident, 37 kilometres to go on Sector 9. Longo Borghini slid out on the mud as they went around a fairly gentle S-bend, but just showed you how treacherous the cobbles were in places. Everybody in that front, in that chase group, sorry, went down except Romy Kasper and... Well, that did disrupt the chase and it gave the extra little bit of impetus that the breakaway needed to stay away. As I said, Alison Jackson had a couple of good digs, one with around 22 kilometres to go and another a little bit later on as they went over the real difficult sections at Campan on Pavel and the Carrefour de Libra. The chase group behind got to within 15, 12 seconds at one point. Pfeiffer Georgie was one of the riders who had a go, but it all came down to the sprint between those uh, seven riders it was in the lead group Femke Marcus who was the SD works rider in the group very unlucky to crash on the top bend just over there you listeners just over there <laughs> as they went round for the final lap and then in the sprint Alison Jackson what can you say what a performance particularly coming so soon after the Ronde van Drenthe where she had a very heavy crash ended up in hospital stitches in a deep knee wound she has raced since but was wearing leg warmers today to protect that wound I guess and Tim Harris said afterwards that she probably couldn't have taken the leg warmers off for fear of uh, unsettling the dressing or opening the wound again so a real heroic Roubaix style performance but Lizzie it was all about getting in that first move when we were talking to the team managers at the start around the buses everyone was saying that this addition of the extra 30 or so kilometers the circuit to the south of Denam before the cobbles meant that there was much more potential for a break to go away and so it, I guess the teams were trying to weigh up which sorts of riders to get in there they wouldn't want to get one of the absolute A-listers but a team like EF Education putting a dangerous endurance rider with a fast finish like Alison Jackson mm. in that move worked out absolutely perfectly yeah exactly I actually I actually discussed this exact tactic with Alison before the start of the race uh, and we were talking about how you had to get up the road there was no way that if you waited you were going to beat the other riders okay there's a chance that you can there's a chance that misfortune happens to everybody else but basically you've got to be the first rider like Romy Casper was when Longo Borghini went down and you've just got to be chance to be in that position so if you want a chance to really beat them you've got to be ahead of the game and we discussed this beforehand we said about this chance of the headwind and so if you can get in a break that's a little bit bigger then you can ride that break but whenever you're not on the front which is you know 17 18ths of the time then actually you're saving and you're in the wheels and the discussion that we had was around how much easier it is to get into the sectors and how much less stressful it is when you're competing with 18 other people rather than 130 or 40 other people you know we also said how the person that needs to get in the break needs to be the strongest or the second strongest rider in order to make it work if you put a rider who's you know one of your weaker riders in the break then well it's not going to work because if that does get to the finish then you're not going to bet on that rider in the finish anyway so really you've got to have one of your say one or two riders up there um you know of course sd works have a plethora of riders to choose from and they had femke marcus who was as strong as 
nearly any of the riders on that team bar potentially Kopecky um, and perhaps Weber's I mean it was the perfect move for, for Alison Jackson I think that either Alison Jackson or Paternoster or potentially Backstead could have pulled it off today but really when I saw that list of names Alison Jackson was the one with the most firepower in there and Tom said to me well what do you think and I said well AJ's the best rider in that group but I have to say there's a lot of kudos to go out to Marta Lach from Cerritos at WNT who did a hell of a lot of work in that group. She really, really pulled, as did Alison Jackson, AJ, let's call her for now, for, for ease of time. Um, and those riders worked so, so hard. I think I saw uh, one, one commentator on Twitter saying that if somebody else wins from that break, then they need to pay AJ and Marta Lach because they did so much work in that break. But um, yeah, in sector two, I, I wrote in my notes, you might hear this later in an interview with Kopecky, that I wrote the break have been caught because it was nine, ten seconds and I could see, you know, the, the camera foreshortens the angle, but they were coming back together. And then I had to scrub it out again because AJ got in the front and she absolutely drilled it. And then there was this hesitation in the group behind. There was about 18 riders behind and it was just a few too many. Kopecky wasn't working because she had Frank Pagmarkas in the front. And, you know, AJ was just driving so, so, so hard and keeping going that uh, that disorganisation in the chase behind was enough in, you know, the final seven kilometres to keep them away with 15 seconds, which is absolutely remarkable. Like, really remarkable. Well, let's hear from Alison Jackson from this morning in Dinamwez, actually just after lunchtime, really, wasn't it, by the time the race rolled out. But this is Alison Jackson before the race started. Alison, what are you expecting out there today? We're going to come away from this race with so many stories of near misses and... Not near misses. Not near misses. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there's so much action that happens in the race and storylines and... Uh, I just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. It's going to be chaos. And what about you? I mean, this is a race that's made for you, really. We know how strong you can be in these races. Maybe you've not had the opportunity to really show it this spring, but is today the day? Yeah, you know, it's, it's you maybe take from from the last races we've sort of missed the mark and I think it for me it's just added fuel to the fire like here we we've got to try something sitting in isn't working for us um so sitting in isn't working for anybody in the women's peloton right now is it no it is not yeah the women's peloton need to collude and they need to attack and they need to get ahead of the game so really hope to see you guys up there today and hope for a safe race for you yeah thank you you are listening to Arrive by the cycling podcast supported by super sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches i mean we always look lizzie in races like this for the the riders that risk something to get their reward and alison jackson as we've both said did put the pressure on at key moments in the race she did do the work a lot of the work to keep that gap as you say I mean it looked like it was all over and then suddenly it wasn't and that's the big lesson of these races if the gap is still eight nine ten seconds there is still a chance even if it feels like the door is closing yeah, and especially at this point, there was nobody behind. Zoe Backstead was behind, but she was a few groups mm. behind. And at that point in the race, it's likely that that group is out of contention. So I spoke to Marta Lack after the race, and she echoed the same sentiment. You know, she said, you can stop working and then maybe you finish 40th or you can try everything to go for the win and okay she ended up finishing sixth and she said to me that she will probably go back over it and look again and again and again at every time that she should have done something differently I think she came into the velodrome first rider she started leading it out first um, and I think ended up coming sixth but if you don't take that opportunity to go for the win 
you've basically lost your chance for any result. As I said at the beginning, Lizzie, it does feel like the Harry Roubaix fam kind of blueprint has been ripped up. The first time the break has gone to the finish and a significant change to the way the race shook down. If you look at the first edition, a couple of the riders in the press conference afterwards sort of made the comment that it was just too short in 2021, 116 kilometres, and the first cobble was coming after 35 kilometres. Really no time for anything to happen in the race. It gives everybody the incentive to keep it all together. Last year, even though the race distance was uh, a little bit longer they still hit the cobbles after 41 kilometers again no real opportunities and far too much incentive for everybody just to keep it nice and tight but today there was just enough 63 kilometers before they hit that first section of cobbles and knowing that section is hard as well a real opportunity were you surprised though that the gap went up to such an extent five minutes 40 i mean that is out of hand in a race of this length. Yeah, I wasn't a bit surprised, I have to say. Um, it went up to two minutes very quickly. Um, and I think we were, we'd just driven to the first sector, sector 17, and we were walking up and down and I checked again and it was five minutes suddenly. And it was a surprise, but there wasn't, wouldn't have been anybody to chase, to do the chasing or to, to kind of put the impetus in. Perhaps Trek Segafredo, because they had Lisa Klein in the break, which is interesting because I spoke to, I was speaking to their mechanic before the start and Lisa Klein was the only rider not on their special Trek Domane, which is their, which is their uh, cobbled bike, um, because her job was in the first 50k. So Jumbo Visma, we've already said how they missed that opportunity. So perhaps Jumbo Visma and Trek maybe should have been the ones keeping it together. But I think everybody still thought, well, we'll just get them back. But actually, in reality, what happens is there are always incidents. The numbers always get whittled down. And you simply don't have the numbers. You may, you, may, you may have two from your team if you're lucky, maybe three. But even then, who are you really going to put on the front to work? So it always pays to be ahead in this race. Well, you were absolutely in the centre of the action, Lizzie. I mean, <laughs> I know your teammates, so you were understandably delighted. But you were right there with the microphone. You caught the, the moment of, uh, of victory and delight where as well, basically everyone was pretty much speechless in the track centre. Uh, when Tim Harris, the sports director, had calmed down a little bit and composed his thoughts, I spoke to him again and, uh, well, I just reminded him that the last time I actually saw Tim was in this very velodrome in October 2021 when he was working for Bahrain, the, the men's team, yeah, when Sonny Colbrelli won men's Paris-Roubaix. So, I mean, not a bad... Uh, not a bad record, three not, out of two. Two <laughs> out of three, sorry. Three, three out of two would be really quite exceptional. It's, been a, it's been a long day. He's good, Lizzie, but he's not quite that good. So, this is... Uh, Tim Harris talking about how the race went and how he felt with Alison Jackson up the road. Well, Tim, last time I saw you in this velodrome, you were celebrating Sonny Colbrelli's win in the men's race. Lightning struck twice today. It was really strange because when Colbrelli won, we were outside the uh, stadium and you don't actually know because nobody actually says who's won. And we had a delayed stream on the, on the television we were looking at on the, uh, on the Eurosport thing. And so we didn't really know who had won. And then we started getting text messages like two years ago. Oh, Alison's won. Uh, so I'm sitting there and, yeah, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, yeah. You were saying this morning about the importance of getting riders up the road. And obviously Alison was your one rider up the road. Yeah, well, when that group of 18 went, went this morning, actually she was, we knew she was super strong, but we, I didn't think it would stay away until the end. But once it got five minutes, then you start thinking, oh my heck, maybe, maybe you just never know. You can start dreaming, and then really in a race like this, you don't because there's always uh, something uh, happening. She was riding hard herself and she kept splitting the group and whittling it down. 
But then coming in when the group was at, I kept saying it's 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 9 seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 15. So it never really got a gap. And then, um, yeah, you just think, okay, there's some good sprinters behind, but who's actually going to bridge the gap? Because whoever bridges the gap is probably going to lose the race as well. So do you want to bring the sprinters back to lose it? So all that time in people's heads, behind I'm just thinking maybe they just don't get it together so I says just get to the stadium and then see what happens I know she can sprint so I mean she was fifth or sixth in Leuven at the world championship she's a good sprinter and I said even if you go as hard as you can to the stadium just never know what's going to happen and even a podium is going to, would have been fun. I think we'd have been super happy with the podium today in fact even coming onto the stadium I mean we haven't had a great spring campaign until now so just to really be sprinting on the stadium and end of Paris for Bay is, 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 is good but to win it is unbelievable So you were happy with it staying together till the velodrome you, you weren't keen for to try and break it up maybe whittle it down from 7 to 3 or 4 or what were you thinking? I mean Originally, when it was 18, and she went hard on, on Mons and Pavel, I think it was, and it whittled it down a bit, but then they kept coming back. I wanted it to be whittled down to six or something like that, and it did in the end, but then they were coming back so quickly, I said, all we could do was chance it and ride it, eh? chance it and ride and see what happens, because uh, normally, nine times out of ten, that group from behind will come back and then we haven't, we're not going to be chanceless then. Yeah, it was a fantastic day really. So it's just down to the rider and the instinct and how she's feeling and judging the numbers and judging the finish and well, then hoping for, hoping for the, the, the sprint is, at the end. a very bad crash a month ago in Drenta. So I, she was in hospital and she had a massive gash in her knee. So um, it, so she more or less had 10 days off. And then two days before Gent-Wavergum, she came to Belgium and then we decided to race her there because the, the stitches were out, but it's still a gaping hole. And uh, so she wasn't on her best, best form, but she's a bike racer and as you've seen, and she knows what to do. So, and she was aggressive. So today I, I, it paid off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One other comment that Alison Jackson made in her press conference was that basically she just wanted to get ahead of Lotta Kopecky. I mean, a smart move because Kopecky was the hot favourite coming into this race and she was instrumental in kicking off that powerful move, which if it had just gone slightly differently and perhaps without that really unfortunate crash for uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini, that chase group had enough power in it to bridge across and and maybe even you know go past perhaps take some passengers with them but that attack by Kopecky forcing that group clear and then the crash 14 kilometers or so later they were the two kind of pivotal moments really weren't they so Kopecky first attacked at 50 kilometers to go at sector 12 in Orshi and there was immediately a gap that she opened up but Almost, I don't know, a couple of seconds after her attack, there was a crash behind. Shari Bossite went down. Uh, she took down Eleanor Backstead, Charlotte Cool, and a couple of others. And it held up most of the group. Quite a few of the, the top dogs uh, really managed to get through and the cream of the crop sort of rose to the top. They managed to get back to her. That was Elisa Longo-Borghini, Brand, Pfeiffer Georgie, Francisca Koch, Shabby, Consoni. And then shortly after that, some of the other you know, hot favourites managed to get across to that group. 
So we really had a group of around 10 riders who were working very well together. Really, as you said earlier, Lionel, they were all podium contention. Tom asked me to tell, tell, tell him a top 10 last night and these were the names of the riders, every single one that I listed. So it was really a group that wasn't messing around. And at 37k to go, Elisa Longo-Borghini, she just hit a patch of mud on a section of cobbles that had a, you know, a big puddle by the side of it basically the cars had gone through before they splashed the water all over the road they they slathered the road with mud um and she went sideways Romy Casper just got around and every single other rider in that group came down Sanakant hit her head straight on the cobbles there was a pool of red blood on the cobbles it was awful to watch and really crossing our fingers that she's okay but that was the moment that it basically started to unravel for SD Works and for Lotta Kopecky. Um, I actually spoke to Kopecky straight after the finish about this incident, so here's what she has to say. So tell me about your day. I mean, you kicked off the action, you were looking so strong, the riders caught you up, and of course you came down in that really unfortunate crash. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty bad timing. I mean, yeah. actually the worst, but uh, yeah, I mean, we had uh, Femco Marcus in the break, who was uh, really strong. I mean, who is really strong. Um, we were taken out by a lot of punctures today. Uh, and then there also was a very strong Lorena Wiebes who brought us back, I mean, to this first group. Yeah, in the end we came, uh, we came short, but we came too close and um, yeah, then it's, uh, yeah then, it's, then it's hard, but I mean, it's, this is Paris-Roubaix and uh, yeah. you can't control anything. And tell me about the cooperation in your group leading up to the, to the final in the last 5, 6, 7k, because you were 10 seconds of that leading group at one point, and I actually wrote in my notes, break have been caught, and I yeah. had to delete it. Yeah, I thought we were going to catch them also, I mean, um, but then, um, yeah, I mean, one, one moment they were working very well, and then we come on 10 seconds, and then it's finished, and then I think, yeah, come on. But I had Femke there, so I didn't, I mean, I don't ride then, I mean, she's a strong rider, she's faster to finish. Also, after a long race, so um, was not up to me. Lizzie, we've spoken before about SD Works and how when they haven't got one of their A-listers in the move, they've got a bit of a problem, haven't they? Because, you know, you, you wouldn't have been too surprised if Kopecky had tried to ride across gaps and maybe bridge up. It wouldn't have been kind of treacherous or, you know, uh, undermining her teammate, would it? Or do you think Kopecky was basically obliged to sit tight and wait and see how it panned out? I'm not sure because after that incident, she took she was really quite behind. So that group of favourites, a lot of them managed to sort of coalesce and get back together um, and form a group again. But Kopecky was was sort of stuck behind this group for quite a long time um, and almost seemed to have sort of lost that fight and lost that momentum to want to get back. And eventually she did. She did get back to that group. Um, and as you heard, she said to me, you know, she she wasn't going to move. They had Femke Marcus in the front. And Femke Marcus has been riding exceptionally well. And perhaps they felt that of the riders that had been in that front group, Femke Marcus did have a good chance because she hadn't done that much work. She had Kapeki behind, so she didn't have to work. And well, we can say what if, but of course we're not going to because it's Roubaix. But she crashed with 200 metres to go um, on the penultimate corner in the velodrome. And so I think she just caught her wheel in one of the cracks in the concrete on the velodrome. And it was so, so unfortunate. So it could have been very, very different for SD Works. Um, an incident like that, you really can't predict. Something on the cobbles, you expect the worst almost. But that was very unfortunate. So I don't think that... 
I don't think that it was really within Kopecky's rights to bridge over because when that gap was so small, she would have brought others with her. Um, clearly, she was the strongest. She still won the group from the sprint and took seventh place overall. But uh, with, with a teammate up front who they would have put money on to be the best out of that group in the sprint, even with the likes of Alison Jackson there, perhaps they felt that Alison Jackson had been doing so much work that she would have worn herself down. Um, I think they were probably putting money on Femke Marcus. But as we know for SD Works, and as they've said before this race, only the win is good enough for them. So did they really think that Femke Marcus could take the win? I mean, for the other riders that stayed away to the finish, that's uh, Katia Ragusa of Live Racing, Martha Troyan of Fenix de Kernink, who took the second and third places on the podium, but then also Eugenie Duval of FDJ and Marion Barras of San Michel and Marta Locke of Saratizit, your old team, Lizzie. I mean, what a big day out for them. And they must have all been coming into this velodrome hardly believing, really, that they, ha- they were going to fight it out for the win. Absolutely. I spoke to, to Marta Lach after the race and perhaps she can tell you herself how full of adrenaline she was because uh, they, they knew that the group were just behind them. But anyway, here she is. Hello. What a day! I mean, congratulations. <laughs> what a thank day. You. Tell me about it. You were working hard in that break. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Lizzie. So, yeah, I, I wanted to, to go full gas because it was only the reason to risk because I saw the, the big group is coming from the back and I decided uh, yeah, to do what I can. In the end, it's better to be on, in the top 10 than uh, to be 40 on the finish line after uh, such a long day. Yeah, of course, I can regret and watch again a thousand times this uh, last uh, 400 meters. But uh, yeah, in the end, I'm happy how it went work out and uh, yeah maybe I was too nervous but uh, it's also yeah I think it's a big achievement and then uh, uh, I know I can do it uh, even better in the future so I'm happy that the team tactic worked out that uh, we went into the breakaway and then uh, yeah I'm a bit sad that uh, yeah that it's not the podium in the end but uh, in the end it was a phenomenal ride yeah exactly I, I gave my best today and uh, yeah the cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport Science in Sport fueled by science well, Marta Lack was, along with Alison Jackson, one of those who really put in the horsepower to keep the break away when that gap came down to 12, 15 seconds. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when we see these time gaps on the screen and then you look at the pictures and, the, as you said, the foreshortening of the gap, it was touching distance, really, at, at times as they were approaching the velodrome. But, yeah, she deserves a, a hat tip for... Um, you know, putting herself on the line and perhaps you know, uh, denting her chances of a podium position by trying to keep it away and perhaps thinking she was going to be fighting for victory. I mean, she won her first World Tour race uh, in a sprint on the third day of the Tour de Romandie last year. So I think she would have backed herself in a sprint. But, you know, she also had to keep it away in order to back herself in a sprint. And she, 
I think she just got a bit too excited. She was first rider into the velodrome. Uh, she was kind of leading it out and she just started a little bit too early. So I do think she's going to look back at that and say, I wish I hadn't done, I wish I hadn't done that. But it just sort of epitomizes the type of rider that Marta is. She's such an excitable character. She's, she's a great person. She's a lovely rider. She always does her bit. And I think she should be incredibly proud of what she achieved today because it really was a monumental ride. As should Katia Ragusa of Live Racing, an Italian rider, of course. And, uh, well, you spoke to her at the finish as well. Katia, can you tell us about your day? I mean, did you think getting in that breakaway just after the start that you would be second in the finish? Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable because for sure I didn't think that, I didn't expect that. My tactic was to be in a breakaway for anticipate the sector of Pavé and then for take it with less stress and then we say we we will see what happened and then yeah K by K we saw that we were riding in the front and at minus 30k from the car they tell me ah maybe you can try to anticipate and take a smaller bunch uh, yeah, I try and then didn't work, but uh, then in the end we were a uh, uh, little group. And yeah, the last game was unbelievable because we have the adrenaline to catch B up. I was uh, doubting if trying uh, something before the uh, before to enter in the velodrome of Rube. But then, uh, I mean, the speed was faster, so I say I only have to enter in the front, in the velodrome, and then uh, doing every, do everything uh, you can do. And I mean, your sprint in the finish was pretty impressive. And what happened? Because wasn't there a little crash right on the corner? On yeah, it was a crash, but because the girls were, uh, was behind, uh, was, uh, yeah, in the... Um, in the middle, in the in the last part, and maybe she she take the um, the, the little corner. I don't know, and the little and she fall. And talk me through your sprints. Well, I know that in a small bunch I can do quite a good sprint. I'm not a sprinter for sure, but yeah, at the end of this race, I think uh, you only have to to give everything you have and go. Well, Lizzie, the sun has now gone down. It's very chilly in the shade here in the grandstand and the, the people who are changing the banners are slamming the van doors. Rather inconsiderate, don't they know we're recording the cycling <laughs> podcast? But we really should mention some of the other big names who had, uh, well, they missed out on the chance to fight for the win. First of all, Mariana Voss and her chase. I mean, oh, we were on that first section of cobbles day. and she was really out of position. Uh, yeah. Didn't know at that point what had happened, but Mariana Voss is not the sort of rider to slip that far back through the peloton. But then to chase all day, I mean, she basically would have been riding, hoping that it would all come back together, but she must have put in quite an effort just to get herself back into uh, the position to get 10th place. Absolutely. I mean, obviously we were moving around from sector to sector and trying to watch the race as well. And she was, you know, the whole time she was fighting from group to group and she had a bike change after sector 17, the first sector of the race. And, you know, there was a barrage. There was no way that she could get through. There were no cars to help her. So she eventually got herself a to one or two riders she had a teammate to help her for a bit and she was just stuck behind groups but she kept on riding and uh, it's kind of Matt Heyman's old motto never never stop riding and somehow she got herself 
back into that group that was fighting for contention. Let's call it the peloton, but it was really the second group on the road behind, or the first group on the road behind the, the breakaway. So the second group on the right road. I'm not even sure quite how she managed to do that. Probably with the help of the fact that that group had so many crashes, but this is Roubaix and that is why you keep on riding. Yeah, it was Kopecky who got seventh place, winning kind of best of the best of the favourites, I guess. Uh, 12 seconds behind the Alison Jackson group. And another rider who caught my eye today was Pfeiffer Georgie. Must have been on a high after winning uh, the classic Brugge de Panna recently, her first World Tour win. And, well, she was very visible and particularly in those final kilometres was trying to maybe get a little counter move together that might have had a chance to bridge across. Yeah, I mean, DSM was definitely a team that I had circled before the start as one of the strongest teams out there. They had Danique Hangerveld in the breakaway and she's an incredibly strong rider. She had a lot of very strong breakaways last year, so we knew what she was capable of. Then when there was this sort of elite selection after 50 kilometres, Francisca Koch and uh, Pfeiffer Georgie were both there uh, and they were both riding absolutely perfectly um, and Pfeiffer got through everything and you know she took she took the second place out of the main group really so I think that DSM were unlucky with you know the crash of Longo Borghini bringing them both down because Pfeiffer Georgie has been excelling this year and they rode that race perfectly having a very strong rider up front perhaps Danique Hengeveld should have stayed in that group so that when the others came over she could have helped them because she sort of wore herself out perhaps that was a little bit of a tactical error but um, they were there like you said and and Pfeiffer was giving everything till the till the end to try and get across she was really trying to drive that break she was trying to attack it she was trying everything that she could to close that gap or to get across but with the headwind it just wasn't going to work well Lizzie we really ought to get back to our base in Valenciennes well because it's the men's race tomorrow you've mentioned a couple of times talking to Tom that of course is your regular service course co-host Tom Wally who's here with us today we've been out making a friends of the podcast episode which will see the light of day at some point or some of it will see the light of day at some point <laughs> some of it some of it's not fit to see the light of day <laughs> um, but lizzie what have you made of your uh, day out on the cobbles as i think i learned at the women's tour it's quite a lot harder being a journalist than i uh, previously thought i've I mean, not even only... i've not even had to pay you for that comment thank you <laughs> we've only just had our lunch and it's uh, <laughs> eight o'clock now um no i mean it's been an absolutely thrilling day i mean nearly not making it to the velodrome was very exciting um not in a good way uh, but i also felt those those race nerves that I get as a rider as well and it was really nice to feel that having not felt it for quite a while but to be able to hop between the sections was uh, was also brilliant but perhaps we should learn from our mistakes of today and tomorrow we should not try to go to a sector quite so close to the finish and, and have a bit you know maybe come to the hit come to the velodrome have a beer maybe possibly and have rather maybe, than a run maybe have our, <laughs> yeah maybe have our chips at uh, lunchtime rather than at dinner time um no it's been a fantastic day really uh, great for me i mean i've been to paris-roubaix many times and you've given a real sort of zest and burst of kind <laughs> of uh, enthusiasm and, and helped me see it through kind of new eyes really because it is exciting when you're out on the cobbles you just don't know what is going to come past you you know and i know that the unfortunate side effect or or byproduct of paris-roubaix is the crash related drama but it does mean that everything about the day from start to finish is just on a knife edge everything is about the tension of the mm. day and that goes for what we were trying to do as well absolutely i mean we really didn't know if we were going to make it to the finish and it's very difficult navigating uh, the traffic where all the roads are closed and you're trying to get through 
before everybody else and especially in Paris-Roubaix you're trying to get along the race course so if you don't make it to the race course in enough time before the race get through you will not get there and I am not a very good runner and <laughs> Lionel is the runner and he was the one driving the podcast so no it really was on a knife edge for us as well and I think I really felt that excitement of the race all the way through through the day and I mean my teammate winning oh, it couldn't <laughs> he have, just couldn't top it that off I was, I was told no no you can't it. go in this area and I just ran around into the uh, completely barriered off area got a text from Lionel saying you'll probably get kicked out but stay there as long as you can well <laughs> it made me think Lizzie that perhaps for the world tour races what I need is 22 different sets of team jacket <laughs> I could just pretend to be part of the team and just uh, go in access all areas but no a fantastic day Lizzie uh, really great watching you kind of navigate our weird little world in your way and uh, well hopefully you'll be able to do it again but I mean I don't want to bring the curtain down on your racing career <laughs> hopefully next time we see you here in the velodrome you'll be crossing the finishing line just down there listeners it's just down there thank you Lizzie thank you Lionel The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney 